0: Hello Woodworms, I'm Ray Terius, and this is the Hand Tool Book Review, the podcast for people who love woodwork and love reading about woodworking too. Are you intrigued by other cultures' furniture? Have you ever wanted to pick up a book on eastern furniture or tools? Or have you simply been watching too many Andrew Hunter videos on YouTube? Well whatever your reasons, today's book is one that I can recommend with regard to the topic of Chinese furniture. I will state up front that getting an original of this book is probably the holy grail of expensive books. Last time I checked this was going to cost thousands to tens of thousands of dollars. So obviously I'm reviewing the mass market reprint that cost around $23 when originally published. I find that you can pick up a 2nd hand softcover for just north of $10. And the paperback is a good quality and decent size, so it's certainly worth considering. I've been happy with my copy. The only downside of the reprint, in my opinion, is that the pictures are in black and white and not colour, which is a pity, but I guess in part it makes the reprint affordable and accessible. Today's book is from Gustav Ecker and is available in the following formats, hardcover and softcover, both in a large format, a letter format, 8.5 by 11 inches. Gustav Ecker was a German and later American historian of art best known for his book Chinese Domestic Furniture, which was first published in wartime China in 1944. It was the first book in any language on Chinese classic hardwood furniture. In fact, soon after arriving in the early 1920s, Ecker turned his attention to China's architectural history. Because there were only a few surviving wooden structures, he initially photographed and recorded stone buildings in Fujian, where he taught. After moving to Beijing, he researched as many stone pagodas as he could, in nearby Hebei and Shandong, before the outbreak of the war in 1937. While he was in Beijing, he joined a group of foreign residents, who were the first to collect and catalogue classic Chinese furniture. The reason for this was that few Chinese scholars had done any research on the subject, and Chinese collectors were only really showing interest in ornately carved and lacquered pieces. In the hard times of the 1920s and 1930s, many families were selling their finest pieces, and many were lost even just to being burnt as fuel. Ecker and Sigmund walked or rode by donkey through many parts of China in search of architecture and furniture. Ecker's tastes have been shaped by the Bauhaus movement, and it's been said of him that he was naturally attracted to the minimally decorated geometric forms and subtle beauty of what has become known as Ming-style furniture, or classical Chinese furniture. Together, these scholars wrote the first book on what came to be known as Chinese classic furniture. As you can imagine, there were quite uh, significant problems to doing this research during wartime. And it is recorded that Ecker took apart and measured the furniture in his own collection to give detailed drawings for its construction. The original book was published as a limited portfolio edition of 200 copies in Beijing in 1944, but has been reprinted since the 1960s, as the standard book on its topic. I'll be honest, my fascination with Chinese furniture began shortly after I started Hand Tool Woodwork and I blame it all on Andrew Hunter and the three-way mitre joint on YouTube. I was researching mitre joints in general, being a bit frustrated with my inability to get 45 degree angles to add up in a picture frame. Those of you that have been there will know that feeling of helplessness about when you finesse a picture frame and find that the sum total of all your efforts is really just to make a different corner the problem, not to fix the problem. I laugh now, but I'm wincing inside. Anyway, if simple miter joints wasn't enough, I became absolutely entranced with the jigsaw puzzle of a joint that is the interior of a three-way miter. This is almost like science fiction, a mind-boggling array of pins and cavities cut into the wood that, while completely invisible to the viewer, give the pieces fundamental structural integrity that glue-on-end grain never would do. And after I'd first seen it, I started seeing them everywhere. One simple video, and my friend's antique table, that it seemed nice but simple, suddenly became mind-boggling. I really wish that the story had a happy ending, but I've still not put together a piece of furniture with this joint, though I've had some limited success on test pieces. It remains my bucket list item, a three-way mitered table in rosewood. Anyway, that was what inspired the search for a book on Chinese furniture, and the result of that search is this recommendation. I believe it's safe to say that this book is the classic in the field, and I must be clear that the actual text is quite short. 161 of the 224 pages are plates, so the book is quite picture and diagram heavy, but I think this is a good balance of giving you a little bit of a story and a lot of inspiration. I'll talk about the plates first. They are standard letter format size around 8.5 by 11, and all in black and white. Generally there may be 3 or 4 different views of a piece of furniture, or 3 or 4 views of a different piece of furniture of the same type. For example, you might get three or four views of a type of table, showing different variants. Thereafter, there are some close-ups of any really specifically interesting details, which are then followed by measured drawings. One of the things that's very interesting to me is that the book was clearly constructed with the cabinet maker in mind. There are details of joints showing the actual construction, and I think it's clear as to how you go about building the pieces. Make no mistake, this is not a cut list and project out of popular woodworking but at the same time it's not the level of cryptic of the gentleman and cabinet makers directory. By the way, if you're ever thinking of getting a copy of Chippendale's seminal work, I'd really suggest you skip it. I'll put out a full PSA on that someday, but it's really a lot of pictures where your money is much better spent on a museum quality picture book. I think that an intermediate woodworker would be able to recreate the projects in the book relatively easily, but be a little bit wary, the specific details are focused on per piece, And the book avoids unnecessary duplication, so you may need to go through it cover to cover to feel comfortable, or to work through a little bit of it in your head. This is not a criticism, I think you'll be happy with the book, but you might just have to embrace your inner village carpenter. And speaking of the village carpenter, thank you Peter Marshall for your letter and generous donation. I was thrilled to receive a physical letter from a listener of the show, and it really made my day that you took the time to write. Back to the pictures. Apart from a few plates at the end that show stylistic or hardware details, almost all of the plates are a full page or half page picture of the piece in question. They are clear, and the piece is shown without any background clutter. The photographer has really done a great job of showing the piece in the best possible way. I think that the photography is excellent. And the choice of subject matter is also nicely broad and comprehensive, as you'll find pictures of most of the pieces I believe a woodworker would be interested in. There are couch tables, benches, occasional tea tables, square tables, side tables, library tables and psaltery tables. There are couches, bedsteads, footstools, dressing tables, trestle tables, stools, back chairs and armchairs. And finally, cabinets and some odds and ends. Compound cabinets, medicine cabinets, circular stands with three legs, candle stands, wash stands and a clothes rack. Basically, because of the coverage and detail shown in the plates, I'd suggest that you are strongly positioned to either take an existing project and add some elements to it that would give it an oriental flavour, or alternatively allow you to take a base design and customise it with the elements that you find most pleasing in the book to make your own pattern. Or if you wish, the simplest route, just take a design and replicate a design that you like. China as a country has had many different types of relationships with many countries in the rest of the world over the span of history. In a way, I think it's a pity, because if this furniture was called, well, not Chinese furniture, it was simply called Style XYZ or Style ABC, I think it would have found far greater inclusion in many other countries' designs. It's interesting to see how much of Chippendale's designs in his book were inspired by the Orient, at a time when it was considered exotic and wonderful but I'd suggest that if you leave the cultural elements aside and simply appreciate the brilliance of the joinery and the subtlety of the forms, or on the other hand, go completely overboard, incorporate the love of geometric complexity and construction, and you can have a lot of fun with the book. In other words, I'd suggest that you might want to consider it as a way of adding arrows to your quiver without slavishly wanting to embrace an exact replica. There's a comprehensive bibliography in the book which may kick off further investigation. I don't know many of these books so it's hard to comment on the selection, but it certainly seems thorough and interesting. The first section of the book however was one that I particularly enjoyed. It's just under 40 pages long and it includes a discussion about aspects of Chinese furniture that relate to the book. The book acknowledges that there are many Chinese furniture works, many that celebrate lacquer and complexity, almost to the exclusion of form. But this book is one that focuses on the simple elegance of what could be called the Ming style, if not exactly the Ming period furniture. In a way, it's a timeless work, like Suetsu Yonagi's book about simple pottery and the definition of beauty. There's no way you're going to find complicated or overbearing forms in the furniture selection in this book. I like the history, as it focuses on the evolution of the forms and gives you an insight into the evolution or purpose of many of the variants. To be sure, it's a whistle-stop tour, no doubt, and not a history of the furniture as a whole of the country, but it alludes to other periods and styles and refers to the evolutions of forms that will help you in understanding some key elements of the furniture. As it's not particularly long, it's not intended to be comprehensive, but as I knew next to nothing about the periods in question when first reading the book, I found it interesting and I think it sets the tone for the book really well. I was a little bit disappointed when this narrative ended, but that admittedly is Ray the historian speaking, not the woodworker. So in conclusion, Chinese Domestic Furniture is 224 pages long and is written by Gustav Ecker. You can find the book wherever you buy your second-hand books, and as at August 2021, it costs around $8 to twelve dollars second-hand and around $20 new. The book is one of the first single-style furniture books I would suggest you acquire. It's not going to teach you woodwork, but the different ways that the Chinese approach traditional problems is one that I found fascinating and they have many solutions that are completely different to the Western way of doing things. In fact, for me, it opened a real rabbit hole of investigation. A simple example is how they float a tabletop inside surrounding pieces, rather than having an overhanging top. That's the kind of thing that a woodworker can learn from. And after trying some of these techniques, perhaps there's an opportunity to include it in your own work, or to add it as a piece of signature flair to your work that might otherwise have looked similar to many contemporary pieces. Another example that's well worth exploring is how they use battens to stiffen up large panels on cupboard doors. The exquisite and light construction they achieve is something that I would suggest is very difficult to achieve with western styles of construction. Like any foreign styles I guess, this is not so much a question of love it or hate it, but rather take it as an opportunity to explore some very different ideas and take what you like from it, leave the rest behind. I'd suggest that this is the real value of the book. Inspirations, New techniques, and small takeaways that will expand your repertoire when considering your next project. I'm giving the book a 7 out of 10 in the category Furniture Books, and the only reason for not giving it a top rating in this category is because of the problem with the plates being essentially black and white. I would love a full color reprint of this book, though I'm not sure that's even possible given that the book was published in 1944. I'm not actually sure as to whether the plates were in full color at that point or not. In conclusion, I'd like to finish by reading the final paragraph of Gustav's Ecker's introduction. It's a phrase that resonates through the ages. But last and not least, I remember with admiration the artisans of the Lupan Khan. To them I owe a dedication of grateful esteem for lessons in practical skill and traditional workmanship. May their ancient and noble craft survive all perils of our mechanical civilization. So that's it for now, woodworms. And remember, go try a three-way mitre in the Chinese style and keep on reading. If you have any comments or suggestions, perhaps a favourite book you'd like to suggest, or one you're considering buying that you'd like to be featured on a future episode, send me an email at handtoolbookreview at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can find me on Patreon. Any contributions will support the purchase of books for the library and future episodes.